Please turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. This morning we're going to look at the transfiguration of God the Son. As I was kind of thinking through, meditating on um, this passage this morning, I, it's so unique and it's um, so different th- than anything else. I, w- I was trying to find some way maybe that I could, some, some kind of analogy, some, some kind of picture that would help me kind of put in my mind what it would be like as one of the three uh, disciples that are, are there. And I, I was just thinking about moments in our lives, events in our lives that, that only happen once. They only happen once. They can't be repeated. Um, and, and yet they're so unique. They're so special that we, we just treasure those moments. And we don't want them to stop. And the... the First example that came to my mind were things like, you know, a, a baby's first word or a, a baby's first steps, maybe, or, or something like that. And those events that, that are so precious to us, they're, they're so exciting, it brings so much joy to our hearts. We, we just want to hang out there. We want to remain there. We want to linger in those moments, but unfortunately we can't, right? Time moves on, and those events occur, and, and they're gone. We can always have the, have the memory of those things, and, and that's wonderful, but, but the events themselves can't last forever, and they, and they can't be repeated. And so as, as we approach our verses in the text this morning, that's it's kind of what's going on here with, with the transfiguration. It's such a unique, it, it's a precious event. In, in all of history, it's never repeated. Um, and we can see here by the words of Peter that he uh, apparently he wanted to hang out. He wanted to remain there on the mountain with, with Jesus in that moment in time. And so please follow along with me in your Bibles this morning as I, I read. We're starting in verse 1 of chapter 17. It says, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Can you imagine what it would have been like to see and witness such a thing as this? Jesus takes three of his closest disciples 
and went on this mountain, and it says that he was transfigured. That's what all of the uh, kind of the well-known English translations use, the, the word they use there. The, the Greek term is actually um, metamorpho, which um, we get our English word metamorphosis, right? To, to change in form, to change in a way that is visible to other people that they can see. And so what was this change? What was the metamorphosis or the, the transfiguration here that took place with Jesus in chapter 17? We're, we're not told much about the mechanics of what all happened, the, the details, but we, it was somehow, it was the revealing of the glory of God the Son. It was, it was the revealing of His deity. His deity and His godness that had been for years veiled, right? It had been hidden or, or concealed since His birth in, in a body of flesh and bone. It, it was a glimpse as He was transformed, in, a glimpse at his, his majesty, who He truly is, though He had taken the form of a servant. And for a brief moment there, these three disciples were, were blessed to see a glimpse of the majesty and the splendor and the radiance of God the Son with their own eyes. As we continue this morning, we to look at, to, to meditate on this, this passage, it's, it's important to note that when we come and look at this, these verses 1 through 8, there, there's one single focus in this passage. There, there is one purpose of this text. There's one thing that these verses present to us. There, there's one thing that we are to take away from this text. And that, that one thing that this text does this morning is it drives us to behold the glory of Jesus. To behold the glory of Jesus. And when I say this, when I say behold, what I mean is to see, right? We, we are seeing it with our eyes. We're reading these words on the page. This description of Jesus as he's transformed. But also I mean to understand, to perceive, to, to discern, to, to really get it. To really understand who Jesus is is and also by behold i mean to to stand in awe to be mesmerized by him to be captivated in our hearts by who he is that we would see jesus in our thoughts and our minds and our hearts would would linger on when we dwell on him and that which we see and we understand and we are captivated by and we dwell on is his glory. The glory of Jesus. Some other words we could use here would be his beauty or his splendor or his majesty. So basically just being amazed, being enthralled with Jesus. And as we do, it drives us to, to fall on our knees and to worship him with all that we are. That, that's the entire point of this passage as we read it and look at it together. And as we look at this passage, it's, it, we can see 
we can behold the glory of Jesus in this passage in, in three distinct ways that we're going to look at. First, we behold the glory of Jesus here by his appearance, by the change in his appearance as it's described in these verses. Also, we, we behold his glory this morning by seeing the acquaintances, those that come and speak with him while he's on the mountain. And thirdly, we, we behold the glory of Jesus by seeing the approval of his Father that, that's spoken in this passage. So his appearance, his acquaintances, and his Father's approval. We're going to see the glory of Jesus this morning. So first of all, let's look together at verse 2. We're going to see this transformed appearance Jesus, it says, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And so those are the two details that were given as to his appearance, his face and his clothing. And notice here that the description is not of his face somehow gleaming, right, from a reflection of light. That, that's shown onto it. It's not something from without that's shining on Jesus that lights up his face. Rather, it's his face that's the source of the light. It's generated from within his being. And we see this incredible uh, description of, of Jesus also in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. And there, John writing, he says, In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. This image of, of a brightness, intense brightness coming from the face of Jesus. And, and all throughout Scripture, light is used to describe Deity, it's, it's used to describe the very being of, of God. You remember here the, the Apostle John that was, was there when this occurred, and he writes in his first epistle, he says, That which from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and we've touched him with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And then down in verse 5, he writes this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Paul writes in 1 Timothy that God dwells in unapproachable light. Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. Over and over in Scripture, this concept of light is connected with God. Also, when we think of, of light and we think of God, it's hard not to think of um, Moses in Exodus 34 when um, it says this, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. 
Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the, face, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Then it says, when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. Because of he, he had been there with God, he had spoken with God. Um, scripture says face to face as a man does with his friend. That, that reflection of the brightness of God was on Moses' face as well. And it had to put a veil over it. Also to think of Saul, of Tarsus, when he, he was on the road to Damascus. And it says this, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. All of these examples throughout Scripture show us this light as a characteristic of God. It's as He reveals Himself to human eyes. We also get the detail here of His clothing. It became white as light. Um, the other, other gospel writers, as they, they describe this account, they say that His clothes were whiter than anyone could ever Bleach them. White, this, this visual in, in Scripture of, of cleanliness and, and of purity. Just this majestic, spectacular sight that these three disciples were pri- privileged to, to see and to experience there on the mountain with Jesus. We behold the glory of Jesus by seeing being captivated by this, this radiant face and, and the clothes as he was changed on this mountain. Charles Spurgeon said this about this event. He said, eyes are meant to see light, and spiritual eyes are intended to see Christ. They are never so fully used for their true design as when they are constantly fixed upon him. All lower lights being forgotten, and permitted to burn out while he becomes the one great light in which the soul basks and revels. That's the point of this description this morning that we see of Christ. That we would, our, our, our spiritual eyes would see him and we would bask and revel in him. So we behold the glory of Jesus in his appearance as it was changed there on the mountain. Secondly, we behold the glory of Jesus in seeing His acquaintances, and seeing those who, who came to be with Him while He was on the mountain. Look with me at verse 3. There it says, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Him. Two great men, great leaders of the Old Testament. Moses, the, the mediator of the Old Testament covenant, the author of the, the books of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. 
the one who led the people of God out of slavery in Egypt through the desert of Sinai to the land of promise. He was there talking with Jesus along with the the great Old Testament prophet Elijah. Remember Elijah who, who prayed and the rain ceased. He raised the, the widow's son from the dead. He defeated the prophets of Baal by, by calling down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. Both of these men here talking with Jesus. That Moses here representing the law of the Old Testament. Elijah representing the, the prophets of the Old Testament. And they're here And they're talking on this mountain with the very one who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And there's no doubt when we read things like this that that questions start to come into our minds. And immediately what springs into our mind in this case is what would they have been talking about? Like you've got these three figures here in, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You've got Moses and Elijah, what are they talking about together? Um, sometimes, questions like that are just speculation, right? They're, they're, that's the best we can do. We just think about, we can imagine what it might be. We never get answers. Um, in this case, that, that's not what happens because Luke, in his version of this account, he actually tells us the answer to this question. Luke there writes that they were talking to Jesus about his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So as they're, they're there, they're talking together. They could, have, right, they could have talked about a lot of things. Could have told about the, the crossing of the Red Sea on dry land. Could have talked about witnessing the, the plagues of Egypt, of, with Elijah being fed by ravens. Right of, of being caught up to heaven in a whirlwind. All of these incredible things, but that's not the topic of conversation. What these men were discussing was the departure of Jesus. What's really interesting is the word used there is actually exodus. The Greek word exodus. So Moses is talking to Jesus about his exodus. Um, really interesting. And the the exodus that they're talking about with Jesus, though, is his exodus from the earth. That's going to take place through his death, through his resurrection, his ascension. And it was to take place in Jerusalem. This Jesus whose face shone like the sun whose clothes were were whiter than anyone could bleach them. This Jesus is the one who would suffer and die for the sins of humanity. So we behold the glory of Jesus in his appearance, shining his face, his garments. We behold the glory of Jesus in the acquaintances that, that join him there on the mountain in Moses and Elijah. And lastly, we behold the glory of Jesus in the approval of the Father. Look with me there in verse 4. It says, And Peter said to Jesus, 
Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, this is, again, this is kind of a strange thing. Like, what would possess Peter to say this? What, what, you know, and we have this feeling that it was maybe such a, a grand event that he just wanted to, to stay there. But he's talking about building these places of shelter for Elijah and, and Moses and, and Jesus. Um, it's a strange thing that he would say. Um, but we do have other versions of this account. For example, in Luke, he tells us that Peter spoke not knowing or not realizing even what he was saying. Mark's version tells us that he didn't know what to say because he was terrified. They were terrified in what they saw. And we can imagine having witnessed an event like this, what do you say? What do you say to that when you see that? I'm not trying to be too hard on Peter here, but it, it might actually be one of those times where it's better not to say anything at all. Right at my my mom, a few weeks ago, I feel like I mention my mom every time I preach, but she always, like, she sees different things. She texts them to me, you know, different quotes and things like that. And she did a couple of weeks ago, too, and it kind of fits in here. Um, I know this quote's been, been used several times, but uh, this actually attributed to Elizabeth Elliot. Um, and she said, never pass up an opportunity to keep your mouth shut. thought that was really interesting advice there. Um, so we don't know Peter's motivation. We don't know in, in what he's saying here. But we also, what we do see is in verse 5, we see that he wasn't even able to finish what he was saying before another supernatural occurrence happened. So we see here in verse 5, it says, While he was still speaking, and behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And this is where we see the glory of Jesus in the approval of his Father. Again, we see this idea of, of light in this divine presence. The, the presence of the Father, it says, came in the form of a bright cloud. So instead of a, a cloud, that, as they normally do, that they come and they bring darkness and shadow, this was a cloud that brought brightness and, and light. And from this bright cloud, we see that it came an audible voice. That these men heard, and it said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. These same words the, the Father spoke in Matthew 3, after the baptism of Jesus. The Father here giving witness and testifying and, and, and confirming and saying that He was fully pleased with His Son. Fully pleased with every thought that Jesus had. Fully pre pleased with every action that Jesus took. Fully pleased with every motivation of His heart. Always, consistently, every single second of his life, 
He was obedient to the will of his father. And in this, the father was well pleased. And then the voice of the father gives a command. It says, listen to him. You disciples of his, listen to what he has to say. And we think back to the words of Jesus in chapter 16. There Jesus said that, that he would have to, he, would, he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. And he, he must be killed and on the third day be raised. Following up on that, he, he tells his disciples afterwards, he says, if, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, then you too must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and you must follow me. He had told them earlier that a servant is not above his master. This is the life of one who follows Jesus. And all these things that Jesus proclaims to them, they are to listen. And look at the response of these three disciples to this voice of the Father from heaven in verse 6. It says, When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. They fell on their faces and were terrified. This is a a reaction, again, we see in Scripture uh, all throughout, from Genesis to Revelation, of being in the presence of God. In Genesis 3, after the fall, it says, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the Lord because they were afraid. They were afraid. We remember Isaiah, when he, he had the vision in Isaiah 6. And he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We did a study on, on Samson on Wednesday night uh, a few weeks ago. And there in Judges 13, Uh, The parents of Samson were visited by the angel of the Lord. And it says that when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife, they were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. A while ago we mentioned the description of Jesus from Revelation chapter 1 about his face shining like the sun in full strength. And again, we see directly following that, John writes, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. It's the response that we have to an almighty God that we fall on our faces before him. This, this human response to seeing and to hearing the God of the universe. And there is indeed a proper fear of the Lord. But at the same time where we see just such overbearing uh, majesty and glory and, and the fear that comes, at the same time we see this action of Jesus in the following verse. So then verse 7, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise 
and have no fear. We're not told exactly why Jesus did this, but it seems like what we're seeing in this passage is this incredible placing side by side of both the majesty and, and the glory of Jesus, and yet at the same time this kindness and, and this gentleness that He extends to those who are His. And then in verse 8, we're told that the disciples looked up and saw only Jesus. Again, as I was studying this passage and looking through it, there's really nothing like this, is it? There's, there's nothing that we can compare to this. There's nothing really normal about this incident. It's all completely glorious and supernatural. For, for just a moment, I read one of the writers, it's like, as Jesus was there, it was almost like you peeled back the corner of His glory. And they were able to see just a bit of it. It was revealed for just a moment for these three disciples. And as we mentioned briefly earlier, it's it's amazing to think about the contrast that we also see in the life of Jesus and know that not very long after this account, this very same Jesus would be mocked. And he would be slapped. And he would be spat upon. And he would be beaten. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says that when they beat him, he would be beaten so severely that he would be marred beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. When he would look human. This is the one who was shown to be glorious on the mountain. This same Jesus, God the Son, veiled in human flesh, beaten, ridiculed, and ultimately crucified. And He did it willingly. He did it in obedience to the plan of the Father. And He did it in order to save a people for Himself. You know, this this incident here on the mountain that we read about in in Matthew 17, um, definitely it, it had an impact on those three disciples that were there. I'm, I'm sure this experience was, was one that would have been an encouragement to James, who was there on the mountain as he was the first of the disciples martyred. We see that he was killed by the sword under Herod in Acts 12. John also, who was there, wrote about this incident in in, in the prologue of his account of the gospel. Read in John 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Peter, who was also there, wrote in his second epistle, and he said this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of this majesty. 
from when he received honor and glory from God the Father. And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And so the question for us is, this morning as we reflect on these words, as we see these words written to us on this page, recorded for us by the Holy Spirit through Matthew, as he writes, what does this do to your heart this morning? Does it cause you to fear as it did the disciples who were there? Does it cause you to adore? Does it cause you to be amazed by and mesmerized Jesus Christ? Does it drive you to worship Him? The glory of our Savior. This morning I want to close with, uh, with an incredible truth that is to be an encouragement to us. And that is the, the amazing thing to know that, that what these three apostles saw briefly for a time we will know and we will see for an eternity. We will be able to linger and we will be able to savor and we will be able to enjoy the glory of God expressed in the face of the Son. We read in Revelation in chapter 21 it says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Again, chapter 22. It says, No longer will there be anything cursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, And his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This true eternal glory. Which we get this preview of here in in Matthew 17. For those that love Christ will experience for all eternity. What an incredible blessing it is to know that that's the future of us who believe. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the way that it describes to us and paints a picture for us of of who you truly are. Lord, we pray this morning that we would, Father, just be totally captivated by the glory of the Son in our minds and our hearts as we go from this place. 
And so, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.